welcome to IdeaGen TV. Today I am ecstatic to have with us from the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, Amy Porfiri, Managing Director of the Foundation, and Dr. Vedrana Hajik, APAF's Director for Fellowships and Medical Education. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's an exciting time. We are at the midterms. Not those midterms. We're at the midterms of the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. Those 17 global goals that were agreed to unanimously by all 193 member states in 2015. And we're now looking at this runway to 2030 and the destigmatization of mental health and taking that first step toward that journey, which the APAF is leading. And we're, we're, we're so beyond ecstatic to be part of that journey with you all. I'd like to ask you about the journey. Could you tell us a little bit about this journey that you're on and that we're on together? And specifically, um, Amy, how did you come to become also the managing director? How, how does that all happen? Sure. Um, you know, I would say it was a, uh, a continuous road that led me there. I um, have always worked in nonprofit organizations. I've always worked in the area of research and education. Um, and I decided after my undergraduate degree, uh, which I studied religion, which was really a field I didn't feel like I was going to actually go into as a profession, but uh, it gave me a good, strong liberal arts background. Um, I took time off when I had uh, my kids, uh, left the workforce for about five years, and during that time I got an MBA um, while I was raising you know, my, my babies and toddlers, and then um, went back to work and had an opportunity at APA you know, over 20 years ago uh, to go in and work with the Division of Research, which really combined you know, my skills at that time in research administration. Um, I really was so fortunate over the years for my role to change at APA and to grow and to um, be chosen for special projects that gave me new experiences over the time and to just continue my professional development. So I moved into the foundation about seven years ago um, because I was so interested in the work that they do out in communities um, really that, you know, where our members are really uh, making an impact in communities and how can we as a foundation take their work and serve, you know, leaders and sectors, workplaces, schools, justice system, faith communities. Um, and I, uh, you know, moved up in my position to a deputy director and, uh, you know, served as an interim executive director when we were recruiting our current executive director, Raul Andrews, and then uh, was able to, to go back to a role as managing director. So I've been in one organization for over 20 years, but my role has really grown and evolved and always stayed fresh, you know, over the years, which has really, you know, kept me there. Well, and you can see how you have made such an incredible impact. I mean, when you think about, it's so extraordinary to think about over the past just seven years, where mental health has come to the fore. And I know you've played a huge role in that. Your organization has played an outsized role in helping to destigmatize, destigmatize the, the talk around mental health. Mm -hmm. And you see it everywhere. 
and you're playing and leading that role. So we're deeply grateful at IdeaGen Global to be helpful to amplify, to amplify that role. Dr. Hajik, it's Women's History Month, and you are leading the way. You're leading the way on this journey. How does Women's History Month play into the whole notion of mental health and mental health awareness? So I think Women's History Month is a time to really reflect on the contributions that women have made in the past to kind of forge the way to where we are today. So the opportunities that we have, we have to reflect on our past, but it's also a time to take kind of the current generation and where are we going to go into the future. And in my role, um, I'm working with a number of resident psychiatrists all over the country, and we're hoping to grow new leaders in the field of psychiatry, promote mental health for everyone. Um, connections that you know I'm seeing go back to Dorothea Dix in the 1800s, who really pushed um, providing humane uh, mental health treatment for everyone. Um, today, there's a lot of adversity that women face, and they show a lot of resilience. And so that's also a time to validate that resilience and everything that they've built. You know, and, and you, you bring up, you know, those leaders. And, and I think it's always important to take a moment, to take just a moment to remember that we all stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of giants, like you mentioned, Dorothea, because there's an opportunity to highlight them, to remember them. Like we always do at Idea Gen with our great friend, mentor, leader, statesman, uh, the former Congressman Louis Stokes. I don't know that there's an interview that goes by where I don't mention it because we do stand on his shoulders and so many others like him that if the world had more of, we'd all be living in a much greater, uh, more collegial place. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, this is for both of you. Um, we'll start with Amy. Amy, could you describe the state of women's mental health in America today? And then certainly Dr. Hodjik, if you want to opine on that as well, we'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah, I mean, I can speak, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, I think COVID was challenging, obviously, for everybody. I don't think, you know, there's anybody that went through COVID without a personal experience with themselves or their family challenged to their mental health. Um, you know, that period of isolation, not being with loved ones um, was so challenging. And I don't, you know, think we're fully out of it yet. I don't, you know, I think the, the impact is still being being felt as we kind of adjust to this new normal. And, um, you know, and, and there's, you know, real issue with access to mental health care. You know, there's one, you know, taking that step to seek mental health care when you feel like you need it. And then having that access be there, having a provider available to you. So, um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of really important um, changes through telehealth that has helped with accessibility. Um, but, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think it's a challenging time, not just for women, but for everybody. So I think talking about mental health um, and having those conversations where people are more comfortable talking about it really is, is so important. That's such a good point. And it is, it does, it has affected everyone. I mean, for the first time, as we've like 
to talk about this issue because it's important to shine a, a, a great spotlight on it. It's incumbent upon us to do that because the entire planet faced the same exact and is still facing and coming out of the same exact situation, lockdowns across the planet. First time in human history where everyone everywhere experienced the same exact thing. And uh, I, I agree. I, I think the world is just emerging from the, you know, call it what you want, the trauma of the mental health trauma that we've come through. And so I think having the ability to talk about it openly um, is so powerful, which is why this conversation is so exciting. Dr. Hajik, would you like to add to that? Yes. Um, I think the other point is to really recognize how common mental health concerns are. So yes, with COVID, everything is much more amplified, but even before then, about 20% of women in America had a mental health concern. So that can include depression, anxiety, trauma, eating disorders. Um, There's also kind of the idea of women's mental health more classically has been thought of as the time of pregnancy, postpartum, but we're really recognizing that there's a lot more to it. And there are many centers across the country and even new fellowship programs for residents where they can learn how to care for women at various stages in life and the differences between treating a mental health concern with a woman compared to a man. Sure, and, and, and it's profound when you think about it, um, especially within the context of Women's History Month, because um, there's always been an issue that um, folks have not been able to talk freely about, especially women in society and societies across the world. And the fact that the APAF and the APA are leading the charge with the first step campaign and through all of your programs is remarkable again. And to hear from you all during Women's History Month makes it much more um, powerful because the millions of people that will watch this interview um, on IdeaGen TV will understand the direction and quite frankly, more, more importantly, the leadership that you're exemplifying as women in your field, in the field of mental health, to change and destigmatize mental health. And that, that for me is everything. And so as we look at cultural and societal factors in mental health, specifically that impact women's health, what steps can be taken to address these issues? Dr. Hodgick, first, please. Well, I think one of the issues we also have to remember is that women are half of our workforce. So there are competing time limits to caretaking the work. Um, and so access and time to actually seek mental health is an important part of this. Um, socially, there are also barriers where mental health is really not recognized the same way as other medical conditions, but not only that, that it is a treatable medical condition. Uh, so there, there's still barriers in understanding, even if someone may understand it themselves, getting buy-in from their family. Sometimes there's more judgment around seeking help. And I think that's where, again, kind of that connection to Women's History Month comes in, where you know we celebrate people who had courage to do things first, to take steps. And it's the same thing with mental health. Sometimes it can be very brave to take that first step 
when people around you are kind of dismissing what you're That's trying right. to do. That's right. Thank you, Dr. Amy, did you want to follow up on that? And I think, um, I think what Dr. Hodgick said was, was so true. Um, and then I think, you know, when we're out in our daily lives uh, and we see somebody that, you know, a friend or a coworker that we know is, you know, something's different. Something's, you know, they seem like they're struggling with something. Knowing how to have those conversations, I think, you know, even, um, you know, knowing what to say, you know, we notice it, but how do we talk? How do we, how do we break, um, you know, break that barrier to know that you care? Uh, and then finally, um, you know, how can, what's that step, step of action that we can help somebody? And that's going to look different, you know, whether you yeah. see a student, whether you see an employee, uh, whether you see somebody in your congregation. Um, but those steps of noticing, talk, and act is sort of the framework that we build the a lot of the foundations programs around, um, and and just educating leaders within our sectors of community really how to take those steps. It's remarkable, and I think about just recently um, equal pay day. Um, equal pay day. Uh, it, it's you can't even imagine that it takes women up until a day in March working to equal the pay that men perhaps are making in that same job or in that same field. And so that goes back to that, that mental health piece and the pressure and the, you know, the, uh, you know, the ability to identify folks that are struggling in some way, whether it's financially or otherwise, all of these, factors, I believe, come into play, right? I mean, that's all part of who you are. And so as we're looking at all these messages in society and on TV, my gosh, how, how, how can you not have a day when you're not doing well? Um, you need resilience. I know that the foundation is focused on resilience. And I'd like for you all to just mention a little bit about that. How practically how can someone become resilient? Dr. Hodge, how, how do you begin uh, to be resilient? So I think this is sort of the preventative aspect to mental health care. And the APA actually has a self-care toolkit. Um, a lot of it focuses on uh, mindfulness, mm -hmm. breathing techniques. So there are different activities that you can implement in your life. Um, and it's very helpful to structure your day. So if you look at your activities and then find a time, a slot that you can reserve for self-care, you're more likely to kind of stick to it if it's already scheduled there. Um, the other part that the APA in our workbook has is also how to set boundaries and limits, how to prioritize what you're doing and being able to say no, which can be difficult for a lot of folks. It can be. Amy, any follow-up to that? I know yeah, I think that, I mean, I just think that is, is so true. Um, we do need to take care of ourselves. You know, women are caretakers. I think uh, by nature, we are taking care of um, oftentimes our families and our kids, and we're putting that first and our jobs, right? We're putting that first and sort of caring for ourselves is always sort of the leftover if there's time, if there's anything that can be, you know, taken out of the day, it's that. I think it's so important, whether it's you know, whatever ritual that works for you, whether it's, you know, even just sitting and having a, a cup of tea in silence or uh, going for a walk, um, you know, just building that in, having a friend to talk to, 
Um, you know, it's just, you know, we, we often, I'm guilty of it, you know, and leave that out. Um, but, you know, it really is so important and you feel better when you do it. Well, and, and you know, from what I've read and from the hundreds and hundreds of interviews we've done, I think only recently, and thanks to your hard work and leadership at the foundation and at the APA, have folks really started to focus on self-care? I've never heard, you know, I've heard it and I've read it over the years, but there's been an uber focus on it, thanks to your efforts again on that component of taking care of yourself as well. Um, if you think back thousands of years ago, Aristotle said, and I'll say it in Greek, which means everything in moderation. And that also goes to work. It goes to everything. If you, if you do too, if you work out too much, you'll probably have an injury, right? So you can't do anything in, in excess. And I think that the world pre COVID was perhaps leaning on the excess side, you know, which was burning people out. I think what I'm seeing come out of COVID is a balance and even speaking, especially during women's history month, which makes it extremely special speaking about self-care and not just drive your career, but there's a self-care component and schedule it in. It means that there's a balance that the foundation is really leading on and helping the society across the planet understand the importance of, and that's what I find incredibly, incredibly powerful. Talking about challenge, we've talked a lot about challenges today. I don't want to just talk about challenges, but what are some of the often overlooked challenges facing women specifically today and what solutions we've talked a few about a few of them but what solutions do we have to address some of these doctor so clinically and kind of going back to that caretaker model what i've often seen is people wait until uh, you need a much higher level of care so there are women who come in where it's to the point that they may need more intensive outpatient services or even full inpatient care, but then who's going to be taking care of the children or other family members so that they're not able to actually access those services if they really need them. And now I think our first step campaign is going to help address that again, kind of working at that prevention model. So start early, get connected to someone while it is still going to be manageable in a traditional outpatient setting. Incredible. Yeah, and I think knowing when self-care is not enough, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much online about um, how to, you know, how to do self-care, yoga, meditation, and such. Um, but really, when is, when do you need maybe professional help and taking that step, recognizing, and it's okay to do that. You know, you're not failing at self-care if you um, seek professional care. So really, um, you know, giving people sort of the, the tools and awareness to know when do you take that step, first step. When do you take that first step? And it's all about the first step, isn't it? Why is the first step so important? Well, it's recognizing in yourself signs and symptoms that you need additional help. And then how do I get that? And the reality is there are multiple places that you can get it. Most people don't need to see a psychiatrist like myself. There are a number of primary care providers, other mental health providers, any physician you know, has some experience in psychiatry. Sure. And talking to them about what you're experiencing will lead you down the path of how to get connected into right. the place that you need. Well, that's incredible to hear it that way because it's not that you know, you're saying 
you can talk to a myriad of people that you trust, ultimately, right? And 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 recognizing and taking that first step, especially after everything we've all been through, you know, it, it it's been a journey. What a journey! But the journey forward, I've got to tell you, for our global audience, and especially around global goal number three of the United Nations Global Goals. This is powerful because this ties into health and well-being. It ties into empowering women and girls across the planet. It ties into empowering the entire society by helping to create an understanding and a, a sense of, again, resiliency that, you know, I can tackle this. You know, I'm, I'm having a difficult time, whatever that may be, but I can get through it because I know what the tools are. If you don't know where the tools are or what the tools are, it makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? So having that gives you the ability to just put it within a framework that hopefully is understandable and treatable. Absolutely. Yeah. And so today I'd like to ask you both, what is your call, your call to action for our global audience, Dr. Hodges? Well, we definitely want to see a mentally healthy nation, mentally healthy world. So it's really access to care for everyone. And how do we all work together to get to that point? We can all learn from each other and help each other out. Incredible. Incredible word. Powerful words, Dr. Hajik. Amy yeah. Porfiri, what is your call to action yeah. and how, most importantly, how can folks find out more about your work at the APAF? Yeah. You know, I think just recognizing there's no health without mental health um, and really, um, you know, to be a holistic person, you know, we need to care for the body, mind and soul. Um, and the foundation has resources uh, that will help uh, employers, uh, school personnel, uh, people in the justice system and uh, faith communities to really um, tools and resources that they can bring into to the workplace. Um, to have a better understanding of mental health, how to support people in that sector, and really how to um, make a handoff to care if, if that's needed. Um, our website is apafdn.org, and uh, there's resources you know, all, all over the website. Um, we do have more on social media as well. So you know, I do invite your listeners to come, come check out our resources. Many of them are free. So... Um, you know, we really want to get them out there for people to use and benefit from. Amy Porfiri, Dr. Hajik, the American Psychiatry Association Foundation, changing the world, leading the way, setting the path, and helping everyone on that first step. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you.